Hello everyone, this is Sam of Historiansplaining, a historian tells you why everything you know is wrong. So in my ongoing series on myths of the month, I've tackled different sorts of myths, some literary and folkloric like the Arthur mythos or Robin Hood, but it had been a while since I tackled big ideological myths that people use to organize history like the Enlightenment or the Founding Fathers or Capitalism. So for myth of the month number 20, I wanted to tackle something complicated and difficult. So by popular demand, I produced a discussion, it's actually too long to even call a lecture, a discussion of conspiracy theories and their significance in history. This is possibly the most difficult subject I've tried to pick apart on this podcast. I had to record over several days and edit together because I wanted to really tackle conspiracy theories from all the important angles, including conspiracy theories as theories, as claims about the world that have to be evaluated against the evidence just like other theories, and conspiracy theories as myths, as constitutive narratives that people use to make sense of their world, to make meaning out of what seems to be chaos. And I wanted to examine and deconstruct where did the idea of conspiracy theories as a distinct realm of thought unto themselves, separate and apart from any other stories or arguments or claims, where did that come from? What agendas does it serve? And finally, I made the argument for why conspiracy theories will never go away because they are a fundamental and necessary constitutive element of American democracy. A lot of this discussion took the form of a sort of imaginary trial, putting conspiracy theories on the stand and questioning whether they should be taken seriously, whether there's anything credible or valuable there, or if they should be rejected as paranoid fantasies and malicious myths. So the discussion is very long, but I've picked out here just one passage from this discussion. So if you want to hear more, please go to my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. And if you become a patron at any level, you will have access to the whole thing for free, along with all my other patron-only lectures. So this is a clip from Myth of the Month number 20, Conspiracy Theories. Okay. So let's say Milikus, in this imaginary debate, rests his case here. Perhaps by now some of you have been persuaded that conspiracy theories are to be taken seriously, and at least evaluated in the same way we would any other sort of theory. Well then now, what is the negative side? Suppose this is where Sky Venus comes into the room to refute these arguments. What are the reasons to be wary of, or even to reject outright, conspiracy theories? Well, to present this other side, I'd like to begin by simply telling another story. This story begins in the year 1320 in France. And in that year, a mob of angry peasants was marauding, raiding, and pillaging through the countryside of southern France in theory, in order to raise money, in order to go on a crusade. And during this tour, pillaging through southern France, reportedly, one group robbed a so-called leprosarium, which is the word for a charity house for lepers. 
And at this time in medieval Europe, lepers tended to live in isolation or group quarantine, sometimes in these so-called leprosaria, in towns or in the countryside, which could sometimes grow fairly wealthy from donations and from commerce. Now, reportedly, this group that raided a leprosarium in 1320 found many barrels of stale or rotten bread. And later, when some of them were arrested by the local authorities, they speculated that this stale and rotting bread had been collected for the purpose of making poisonous powders with which to contaminate drinking wells and fountains. In the following year, in 1321, as disease outbreaks increased through much of France, rumors exploded that this was the result of poisoning by the lepers. And under tremendous pressure from the common folk, municipal authorities around many parts of France began to arrest the leaders of the leprosaria. And under torture, many of these leading lepers confessed to a scheme to put poisonous powders, contaminated objects, and even pieces of diseased flesh into the people's wells and drinking fountains. And there are many reports about this supposed conspiracy that was uncovered all around France. For instance, in a chronicle written in Paris, the chronicle said that the lepers, quote, following a great deliberation in several assemblies held over a long time, created deadly poisons to be administered and given to all people not infected by their sickness. It was known that they put them in wells, in fountains, in wines, in wheat, and in other things necessary for the sustenance of men and women, so that all of those who would use or drink or eat these poisons will either die or lose their mind and be infected by the leper's illness. So a consensus formed fairly quickly that the lepers had made preparations for this nefarious scheme. But this led to the question of motive. Why would the lepers do such a thing? And different explanations were put forth. The first one, it seems, was recorded by an inquisitor named Bernard Gui, who wrote that, quote, they aspired to the lordship of towns and castles, and had already divided among themselves the lordship of places, and given themselves the name of potentate, count, or baron in various lands, if what they planned should ever come about. But nonetheless, it seems doubts persisted that the lepers could have had the means, the motive, and the opportunity to carry out such an audacious scheme. And so some of the lepers who were still imprisoned were further tortured into more confessions. They said that they had been encouraged and assisted by the Jews. Then that the Jews in turn were in league with the Muslim rulers of Granada and Egypt and that all of these conspirators in their meetings had profaned the sacraments and stomped upon crucifixes, hence heresy too, abjuration of the Christian doctrines, were brought in to this massive far-reaching conspiracy. And finally, on this basis, dozens of lepers were killed all around France, mostly by burning at the stake. So this conspiratorial outbreak in France came about in the pivotal time of the early 1300s. So this was a period when high medieval society was coming into crisis. Through much of the 11 and 1200s, Western Europeans had spent this time building up a cohesive Western Christian society with consistent shared institutions, 
rituals, and teachings, which were symbolized by certain new ceremonies like the Corpus Christi or Body of Christ processions, where the host would be paraded with various groups of society represented by delegations marching behind it, thus representing society as a unified body like the mystical body of Christ. But the dark side of this growing social cohesion was an increasing suspicion towards outsiders and nonconformists. And these suspicions then were set off with increasing fury after 1300, when there was a wave of floods, crop failures, and disease outbreaks. There was in the early 1300s, even before the eventual outbreak of the Black Death, there was a kind of general crisis, such as had not been seen since the fall of the Western Roman Empire. And it happens that lepers became the first scapegoats for this civilizational crisis, and they were put at the center of a new developing conspiratorial mythology. And it's not entirely surprising that it played out this way. Leprosy causes disfigurement and loss of skin tissue. And in the Middle Ages, this was often seen as symbolizing decay and degeneration. And that outer disfigurement symbolized inner sin and corruption. And so in this way, the lepers were seized upon both as a representative and a cause of the wider social crisis and decay. So whereas the body of Christ and the host represent the healthy and sanctified body, lepers were taken as representing the corrupted body. Now, the attack on lepers in 1321 was not entirely unprecedented. There were certain precursors. There had already been for more than 100 years the so-called blood libel on Jews, the persistent rumor which was sometimes used as a rationale for violence, the rumor that Jews kidnapped and murdered Christian children in some way as part of their religious rituals. The blood libel claimed a collective crime for which Jews were collectively guilty, but it was not necessarily aimed at subverting or destroying society as a whole. It was not used, you could say, mythically, to explain a social crisis. But in 1307, another important forerunner of the attack on lepers took place, which was the formal state-sanctioned accusations against the Knights Templar. So this powerful crusading knightly order that had many knights and controlled a great deal of land and money all around Western Europe, the Templars were also accused of ritual crimes like profaning the cross and sexual crimes in their case, homosexual sodomy. And they were also accused of plots and conspiracies against both the church and the crown, hence why they should be not only executed as heretics, as many of them were, but also their lands and possessions seized for the crown because they were traitors. So the slanders and attacks on Jews and the destruction of the Templars served in these ways to lay the groundwork for the conspiracy theory about lepers. But what was new about the so-called leper plot in 1321 was that the lepers were the first social group that were perceived by the populace, not just accused by the crown, like the Templars, but perceived by the populace as scheming against 
mainstream society in order to harm or destroy it and to supplant the ruling elites. So in a way, the attack on lepers was a mass action, a popular action in defense of the social order and the constituted authorities. And so one might see the Templar trials arguably as unleashing, as the crown unleashing a demon that then could not be contained. This idea that the social crisis of their time could be blamed on a conspiratorial group within society. And the 1321 alleged plot was the first one to unite together common recurring villains that then appear again and again all through the history of conspiracy thinking in the West. Jews, Muslims, heretics. So the popular imagination seized in this case upon the leper house, the leprosarium, as a mysterious and forbidden place, a sort of alien place within society, which they came to see as dangerous, a place on which to project fantasies of malice and ambition. And it would then be followed soon after by Jewish synagogues, witches' covens, and eventually Masonic lodges. So the attacks on lepers in the 1300s set the tone and established certain common themes, which then run through a whole tradition of conspiratorial thinking in the West. And some of these common themes are firstly the projection of resentment and hatred of mainstream society onto marginal groups. The thought process you could see as basically, if I were a leper, and if I were treated the way those people are treated, I would hate mainstream society. I would want to destroy it. So therefore, they must be plotting to destroy us. Another very important common theme that comes into the story of the lepers and then continues all through the centuries is the fear of contamination. So many conspiracy theories all through the years involve poisoning of some sort, poisoning of the food supply, poisoning of animals. Distinct sub-societies, whether you're talking about Jews, stonemasons, witches, these distinct sub-societies are like alien growths within the body that introduce poisons and impurities. And this kind of fear, I would argue, continues all through the different eras and evolutions of the conspiratorial tradition. And hence, when you think of recent conspiracy theories, they focus on things like fluoride, vaccines, radiation, like the 5G network, chemtrails, etc., etc. There is, I would argue, not only an enduring, but an intensifying fear of bodily impurities being introduced into